Welcome to the Wealth is in the Details podcast. In this podcast, financial planner Peter Raskin helps families and business owners understand and prepare for their wealth journey. Along the way, thoughtful and detailed planning can provide clarity and confidence as clients confront a multitude of financial decisions. Listen in as Peter shares stories and insight into people's wealth journeys. Now, let's get into today's podcast. Hello and welcome to Wealth is in the Details with Peter Raskin from Raskin Planning Group. Hello, Peter. How are you? I'm great, Eric. How about yourself? I am doing fantastic. I'm I'm really excited about today's podcast. I know that the title of the podcast is What is Your Business Worth? And you've brought Chris Mellon onto the show, correct? That's right. How did you meet yeah, Chris? I met Chris. I was taking a uh, an advanced certification on uh, business exit planning strategies, and, and Chris was uh, one of the lecturers. And oh, so fantastic. I'm real excited he's, he's here with us. All right. Well, now I know why you brought him on the show. He was one of the teachers. I'll let yeah, you go to it. He's the expert. <laughs> so, uh, Eric, we're, we're doing a series of podcasts focused on the on the process we've developed to help small business owners plan a, a, a an exit strategy. Mm-hmm. And in this podcast, uh, I thought we'd try and help the business owner understand the important factors involved in determining and, and actually appraising the value of of their most important and and probably their largest asset, their business. Mm-hmm. And with, with that in mind, I want to welcome our guest, Chris Mellon, and he's the Managing Director with Valuation Research Corporation and, and leads its Boston office. He's a, a leading professional in his field, and he's a, a co-author of the third edition of Valuation for M&A. And as of 2018, he's completed or, or supervised over 3,000 valuation assignments since 1989. So wow. I think that makes Chris a, a, a bona fide expert. Oh, I'd say, and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for joining us, Chris. Thank you, Peter, and uh, happy to join you. Great. So first, tell us briefly how and why you got into this business of, of appraisal, and tell us a bit about your company, Valuation Research Corporation. All right. Well, I guess I'll give away my age when I answer this question, but about four years after I graduated from my undergrad uh, in 1989, I graduated in 1985, I had started my MBA part-time at Babson College and decided to finish it full-time. And when, it, when I went full-time, one of my first objectives was to get an internship with a firm that combined finance and consulting with close sale businesses. It was just something that was of interest to me. And when the internship uh, placement officer at Babson called me with the posting, these are the days before email, I said, bingo, that's it. And now it's 31 years later. And I look back to a very fruitful uh, career in business valuation. And with regard to Valuation Research Corporation, VRC is a national valuation firm with nine offices and about 155, 160 employees, plus a worldwide presence with an additional thousand employees. And I had the Boston office. We've got 16 people here in uh, Norwood, actually. They're not here now with COVID, but <laughs> uh, they're all working from home, but, but we do have 16 in this office. And we do two, over 2,000 uh, company valuations, and then we do over 4,000 private equity portfolio valuations. So we're quite active and involved in the business valuation profession. Excellent. Well, again, thanks for joining us. I really appreciated it. 
Chris, you know, I, I talk to business owners every day and in general, I'd say they're a, a pretty impressive group of, of, of individuals. They, they're just optimistic. They're, many of them are real confident. They're engaging. They're focused. For the most part, their glass is definitely half full. So while they, we all have strengths and weaknesses and so do all business owners, I see they, they typically have two things in common. One is they really underestimate the risk in their business and they really don't know what their business is worth. Do you have any comments or thoughts about that? Yeah, I actually found that following the Great Recession, fewer business owners underestimate risk. And by the way, underestimating risk means that you think your company value is too high. But fewer business owners underestimate risk compared to before 2008. In business valuation, there are many standards of value. There's fair market value, fair value, et cetera. And we used to uh, joke that there was another standard of value called owner value. And owner value was fair market value times two. Uh, but I actually don't think that's as prevalent as it used to be. Now, yes, uh, being optimistic, they might underestimate risk and, and, and often don't have a handle on business. But I actually think the education has gotten out there that uh, there is a little bit better knowledge amongst business owners um, uh, these days as compared to the earlier part of my career, shall we say. Well, that's good to know that that more and more of, of business owners are, are more realistic about about their their view of their business and, and the business world. It's interesting. I, I also see that there are really two kinds of, of business owners. And the first kind is is that business owner that that owns a job or an income stream. This business owner, they work in the business, they're involved in, in most of the day-to-day -day decisions, and the business is reliant on those activities and decisions that the business owner makes every day. The business may, could be very, real profitable, but the business owner is truly irreplaceable. So that's one kind of business owner. And then the second business owner is actually has built an enterprise that isn't totally reliant on his or her activities. So the business could also be really profitable, but the business has systems in place, has a management team, and while valuable, the business owner is replaceable. So how do these two kinds of, of businesses differ from a valuation perspective? Well, I certainly agree with what you say there, especially when it comes to smaller, close-scale businesses. Said another way, the business owners who work on their business create value. The business owners who work in their business typically are not creating value. Those business owners that are working in their business and as a result making themselves, making their business very dependent on them are in the end essentially working a job where they're just the boss as opposed to a true business owner creating value. And therefore, they're not creating wealth for themselves or for their family. A person can only do so much. We all have our strengths and weaknesses. And to manage, you need to leverage. And to leverage, you need more people. The business owner needs to understand his strengths and weaknesses or her strengths and weaknesses and hire and enable employees who can complement those strengths and weaknesses and help grow the business. Key person dependency is a business risk and risk reduces value. Yeah, th thank you for that. That's really uh, well, well said. 
we see it every day. It's a real, it's a challenge for, for business owners because most of us that do own a business kind of grew up doing the work, you know, and, True. and uh, True. it gives us, gives us satisfaction. But at some point we need yeah. to, if we want it to grow, we do need to build that, those processes and that management team. Okay. And, you know, Chris, I can really what? appreciate that. I can really just to add, I can really appreciate that because well, what we, we didn't get into it in the introduction, but actually I had my own business for 15 years from 2000 until 2015, I ran my own valuation firm called Delphi Valuation Advisors. And I started out of the attic in my house and built it to 11 people as a consulting firm. And consulting firms tend to be more dependent on the owner. But I did build it and uh, was approached many, many times over the years to sell it. And in January 2015, VRC, the CEO of uh, VRC, uh, PJ Patel approached me to sell Delphi to VRC and have me join as a partner and our company, you know, Delphi become the Boston office of VRC. And uh, we did it. We did it in July of 2015. And uh, so, so I've actually lived that. I know that feeling. I know that urge, but it's an urge and it's a tendency that's really in the end, not beneficial to anybody. Yeah. That's my experience as well, that it, it really is an urge. We want to do it. We want to do it ourselves. And uh, that's not necessarily the the most productive approach from a valuation perspective, I think. So, Chris, wh why should the business owner care what, what his or her, her business is worth? And what are the reasons they might hire an appraiser to value that business? For many business owners... The, their business is their most valuable asset. So from a personal wealth planning perspective, how can a business owner do any kind of planning without knowing the value of his or her business? So yes, they absolutely should care what their business is worth. Also, if the business owner wants to build their business, they need to understand the value drivers and the detractors. When I say detractors, I mean uh, the risk factors. The business owner who focuses on value builds value and gets rewarded in the end. As for the reasons they might hire a business appraiser, I categorize the reasons in three main buckets, compliance, litigation, and consulting. Compliance is the reason the vast majority of valuations are done by independent business appraisers. There are several buckets within the compliance bucket but the main ones are tax, financial reporting, and ESOPs. And within the tax bucket, there's gift and estate-related valuations, there's stock-based compensation, there are conversions to S-corporation within financial reporting, there are uh, post-acquisition purchase price allocations, goodwill impairment, there's portfolio accounting for private equity holdings, and then uh, ESOPs, and ESOPs are mostly the annual valuations, uh, but also at establishment of the ESOP and dissolution of an ESOP. And then there are other compliance situations like bankruptcy. That I would say that that probably comprises at least 75% of why business owners hire business appraisers. And then the other two buckets, litigation and consulting. Litigation is usually divorces. Business owner gets divorced. They need to get a value of the business. Uh, shareholder disputes or business damages are the other main reasons in litigation that people hire 
the business appraisers. And then consulting, which I think is more of the focus of this discussion and podcast, that's exit planning, it's value building, valuation-based strategic planning, buying companies, selling companies, buy-sell agreements, shareholder agreements, the internal transfers, all of those. So those are uh, the three buckets again, compliance, litigation, and consulting. And then I guess the final point on why a business owner would want to hire an outside appraiser, the outside appraiser, depending on his experience, has seen so much. We can, I mean, I've seen over 3,000 businesses. So much insight I can bring in. Can't, I'm obviously not going to re- reveal any confidential information about their clients, but there's just so much perspective that we bring to the table. And an experienced business appraiser has seen a lot of businesses and valued many businesses just has perspective that any business owner who uh, wants to take advantage of it will, will, will benefit from it. Yeah, I, I see those are, are as tremendous advantages to, to having uh, someone like you on, on the team. There's certainly factors that go into valuing a business, and we'll, we'll talk a, a bit about that. But the, these factors exist for a reason, right? They're there because successful businesses in that space of business are doing the things they need to do to, to, to grow and, and, and be profitable. And these metrics drive valuation. And so I would think a business that, that focuses on those is eventually going to become a more successful business. Absolutely. So another question I have is around the value of the business from an appraisal perspective. And and what I've always heard is that it truly is dependent upon the objective of the business owner. So, for example, if you're doing an appraisal for someone that's considering an internal transfer, that might be valued differently than the sale of, of a business to a competitor or to a private equity group. So it's it's really what's the purpose for the appraisal? Does that make a difference in valuation? Yes. So if I may first comment on dependent upon the objective of the business owner, we've got to be careful there. Value is purpose specific, uh, but evaluation should be independent. So the appraiser should be giving an independent opinion of value, not a high value or a low value because the business owner wants it. But value is definitely purpose specific. The purpose sets the standard and premise of value, and those can have wide variations. Value is a range. Value is not a specific number. We often opine on a specific number for a specific purpose, but it is a range concept. The standard of value called fair market value is common for, is used for gift and estate tax purposes or ESOP valuations, for example. But that's not necessarily the best standard of value for uh, planning for a uh, sale. So if, and, and the way I explain it, if you're comparing fair market value to a value in a potential sale of the business, from the seller's perspective, because fair market value is any willing buyer, willing seller, it should, from a sale perspective, be kind of the floor. And companies' uh, fair market value also can be very different from its fair value. A fair value might be used in a shareholder dispute, and and, and that can vary from state to state. A divorce value is also something different that can vary from state to state. In divorce, uh, for example, because the various state probate courts have set forth case precedents that varies in terms of treatment of tax 
and personal goodwill, the exact same company in Massachusetts versus New York versus Rhode Island would have very different values for divorce purposes each, but they'd have the same value, fair market value for tax or ESOP purposes. So purpose is really important. Now, regarding uh, the various exit options, there, there are many. Uh, in chapter 14 of my book that you mentioned, Valuation for M&A, that was published by Wiley three years ago, it covers exit planning. And I actually list 20 exit options. But as very well laid out by John Leonetti and Pinnacle Equity Solutions in their CBEC program, where we met, there are five major exit options. And those five options are, one, sale to a third party, two, a private equity group recapitalization, three, an ESOP, employee stock ownership plan, four, an MBO, management buyout, and five, gifting of stock. And when you think of these various exit options, you need to first think about value. But you also need to consider proceeds and repercussions. So what I mean by that is while the value of the company and really the price in a sale to a third party is going to be higher than an ESOP situation, the tax benefits related to the ESOP as compared to a sale can really close that gap in terms of the proceeds in certain situations. Also, you have to know the business in terms of its business owner, in terms of his position, uh, motivations, and so on. And just going to Pinnacle's owner assessment to determine the best exit option, you need to understand the business owner's mental readiness and their financial readiness. If both are high, a gift or ESOP may be the best exit option. If both are low, an ESOP may st still be a good exit option, as would a private equity group recap, or just staying and growing the business uh, for uh, several more years. If mental readiness is high, which means get me out of the business as soon as possible, I want out, and financial readiness is low, which means I need to sell for as much as possible, then a business sale at the highest price might be the best option. But if mental readiness is low, meaning I'm not ready to leave, and financial readiness is high, meaning I can afford to leave and leave some money on the table, then a management bio could work as well as a gift or ESOP. I just said a lot there, but to sum it up, value is a range. There are many options. The value can differ based on those options. Valuation-based strategic planning and exit planning can help a business owner better understand those options based on where he or she is and where his or her business is at. The owner who focuses on business value builds business value and ends up more wealthy and fulfilled than the one who does not. Thanks, Chris. I, I think a couple, couple comments. Uh, one is I think you're, you're so right that the, the process of planning and, and the exit planning process is gonna help the business owner really understand the directions and the options they should they should be looking at. And also uh, the that business exit readiness uh, survey is available on our website for any listeners that want to take it. It's a fantastic first step in the process, just understanding how ready you are from a financial or emotional perspective in uh, in, in exiting the business. And so uh, look for the, uh, the, the 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 business exit readiness index survey on uh, on the website at raskinplanning.com. 
Uh, Chris, we've talked a lot about appraisal, but what are some of those important factors that, that go into an appraisal? Sure. Um, business valuation is about the risk of achieving the company's expected future cash flows. It's about risk and return. It's a prophecy of the future, about future expectations. It's also both a quantitative and a qualitative assessment of the business. On the qualitative side, there's the company's strengths and weaknesses and opportunities and threats, considerations um, such as barriers to entry, supply and demand, quality of management, succession planning, diversity of uh, customer base, technology, company reputation, price sensitivity, competition, market share, all, all kinds of different factors. Uh, you, you get the gist of the qualitative side. Those are factors we, we have to consider and understand in every business valuation. And then on the quantitative side, there's the expected future cash flows, the rates of return, discount rates, the net assets, the intangible assets, the market multiples, and comparable transactions. All of these things need to be assessed in valuing a business. Plugging numbers into a software package or Excel spreadsheet just doesn't cut it. Chris, let's talk about uh, business risk for a little bit and, and how that affects cash flow and income. We're right in the midst of uh, one of the, what I would consider a great natural disaster, this COVID-19. But in the last the last couple, uh, the last decade, especially, we've, seen, we've, we've recovered from the Great Recession. How do these these economic shocks affect valuation? Well, obviously they have an impact, but they affect different businesses differently. The first consideration is the underlying industry. So in our, in our COVID world, for example, the travel industry is greatly affected in a negative sense. And the cruise industry is even worse. But there are several industries that have done better, such as delivery business or essential products. The joke is about toilet paper or masks. Understanding the industry is all part of the valuation process and understanding you know, the, the, the impacts that the economic situation has on the industry is, is, is the first step. Uh, and, and, and then you get into the company factors that I mentioned uh, before. Ultimately, valuation requires judgment in terms of forecasting cash flows, determining relevant market multiples, determining appropriate discount rates, and so on. And that judgment is based on an understanding of the economy, the relevant industry, and the company's specific factors, that qualitative part of the process. This is, I think, just such a, um, an important time for so many business owners as, they, as they're working out of, out of this recession caused by a, a, natural, uh, a natural disaster or, or a health crisis. We're going to see how it affects businesses and the business owner decisions going forward. It's going to be it's going to be a significant time. I think uh, I think there's going to be a, people are thinking real hard about about their future at this point in time. I think for for a lot of business owners, Chris. Right. Chris many of our clients are, are are business partners, and unfortunately, business transitions occur in unexpected ways. And here I'm thinking about death and, and disability and disgruntlement or retirement. And when we're talking to our business owner clients that have partners, we're always recommending buy-sell agreements so that when these events occur, there's just a real clear process for transferring that business. Can you comment how the appraisal process works in, in these situations and, 
And do you recommend annual business appraisals or a formula approach or an average of a few appraisals at the time of the event? I mean, what, what, what do you see out there from a, a succession planning perspective in, in a buy-sell agreement? This is almost a topic in itself, uh, a solid shareholder yeah, it agreement. Yeah, solid. And uh, there, there are lots of repercussions with it. But a solid shareholder agreement with a solid buy with solid buy sell provisions is an essential is essential in any business with one, with more than one owner. Really, it's uh, this is something that needs to be addressed. If it hasn't been addressed by the business owners, it, it, it needs to be. It's, it, it's going to be much harder to address it when there's an issue that causes. One of these issues mentioned, would you say death and disability and retirement? Divorce is another one. The buy-sell agreement may be the single most important agreement the business owner will ever sign. There, there, there just can be so many misunderstandings leading to divisiveness, dispute, net worth litigation, and or breakup of the company that can be avoided with a solid agreement. It's really short dollars to spend both legal and appraisal fees to uh, get a solid uh, agreement in place. As as a valuation professional, I've had a front row seat to the life-altering ramifications of poorly crafted agreements. And the vast majority of them are, this isn't criticizing attorneys, it's just Many attorneys don't don't know uh, what certain using certain terms in valuation uh, mean unless they've dealt with the shareholder dispute that called it into question. Many of these, the ramifications of the poorly crafted agreements, all of the intended and unintended uh, consequences of languages of language incorporated in these agreements can cause problems. The agreement can define how the appraisal works. In terms of the standard of value used, which I mentioned before, the types of appraisers hired, in terms of credentials and or and you know other qualifications, I think you said about an average of process or, or um, formula, yeah, how all of these things are to be done. Regarding a formula approach, I definitely do not advise it, and I know that may come across as self-serving, but while it's less expensive to use a formula approach than uh, to hire an appraiser, it's far more likely to lead to dispute and litigation, far outweighing any periodic appraisal fees. As for annual appraisals, it's advisable, doesn't happen often, and maybe I can, maybe I'll talk about annual appraisals a little bit later, but I, but to answer your question, formula approach is not a good idea. Chris, I think uh, we we definitely need to have you come back for because, as you say, business uh, business shareholder agreements are truly a uh, could be a topic for for an entire podcast. So important, and not nearly as much thought and effort is is put into them as as there should be. So thank you for mentioning that. Sometimes the the business owners are are, are transferring minority interests, and how do minority discounts affect valuations? And and could you also define what that means? Okay, so a minority discount or sometimes referred to as a, a discount for lack of control and um, non-controlling interests. Basically, a shareholder who doesn't have control over the uh, the business uh, and also lacks 
liquidity, lacks the ability to sell the business, to readily sell the interest, is, is going to be worth, worth less than a liquid uh, controlling interest. This issue of transferring non-controlling interest happens uh, or comes up mostly with gifting of shares, which is one of the five exit options I mentioned earlier. These discounts allow for a business owner to use less of uh, his or her lifetime exemption, again, another topic, transfer uh, more shares out of the estate. I'll just say this for any business owners who are thinking of doing any kind of estate planning involving the transfer of, of their business equity. There has never been a better time than now. In my 31 years of valuing businesses, the four main external factors that drive the benefit of gifting shares have never lined up so perfectly as they have now. And those four factors are, one, an election year. Potential changes in the executive or legislative and legislative branches of government could lead to tax law changes, especially given what's going on now and more deficits, they probably will. And frankly, they very likely will, even if there isn't a change, given uh, just remembering back 30 years to George W. Bush saying no new taxes and his hand being forced. But if such a change will lead to lower lifetime exemptions to transfer wealth, take advantage of the higher exemptions and do it now. The second factor is lower values. Values for many industries have dropped, as we mentioned earlier. Lower values mean that more can be transferred out of a business owner's estate. The third factor is lower interest rates. There are estate planning tools, and this is a topic for talking with your estate attorney and, and wealth planner. I'll just give an example, something called the Grantor Retained Annuity Trust, a GRAT. These are virtual no-brainers in times of low interest rates. There's something referred to as an AFR, applicable federal rate, that AFR is currently at its all-time low of 0.4%. It represents a hurdle, and basically the hurdle is so low, making the grab more effective than ever. And then finally, the fourth factor that's lined up is more volatility in the markets. And discounts for lack of marketability are higher in times of higher market volatility. So any business owner listening to this, and we're speaking on August 11th, 2020, any business owner uh, listening to this and thinking of doing any estate planning needs to get in touch with uh, their estate attorney and wealth manager to make gifts of stock within the next four months. You may never see this perfect opportunity to do so again. It, it is a great time. And uh, unfortunately, that, that says... Says says a lot about the times we're in. You know, interest rates are, are low right now, uh, primarily because because the economy is so uh, is so difficult. And uh, but it's a, it provides great uh, possibilities for those looking to gift significant assets. So, thanks for that uh, that that reminder, Chris. We, we've talked a lot about appraisal and valuation metrics for 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 the businesses that are in transition. But also, they're also important for, for the business owner that has that uh, that stay and grow mindset. You talked briefly about that earlier, is if you're trying to grow your business, these metrics are really important to, to both the appraiser and ultimately to an outsider that, that might want to buy the business in, 
in, in 10 or 15 years or, or the banker that wants to lend capital to the business because having these good metrics is going to actually uh, increase business strength. Business will become less risky and, and more likely to, to weather the big storms like we're seeing now. And eventually that, in my opinion, enriches the business owner. So, so do you have any thoughts about this? And how does that business owner gain the knowledge and understanding to, that they need to, to know so they can take into account valuation and appraisal metrics to help them grow their business? So uh, I mentioned before how valuation is done for three, uh, the way I categorize in three main buckets, compliance, litigation, and consulting. And, th and this is the consulting side of things. There are very there are several benefits that a business owner can achieve from getting ongoing valuation. If you if you want to increase your company value, and if in the process of the, of the valuation consulting, we can identify, I'll, I'll keep it small. We can identify a factor that just adds a hundred thousand dollars to your pre-tax income, your EBITDA. It could potentially add between three hundred and seven, eight hundred thousand to your company's value. A far, far cry from any fees we charge. Just a simple identifying some factor. And while the whole pro while this is important for any business owner, it's 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 especially important if the business owner is planning to exit their business within the next five to eight years if there are multiple shareholders who may be bought out in the upcoming years, if there's a chance of new shareholders buying into the company, and or uh, there's a possibility of being approached by a potential buyer. Regarding annual valuations, it's definitely beneficial. It's, it's simply prudent and good business to track your company value on an annual basis. Liquid assets are, are, are valued daily Portfolio performance reports are typically provided quarterly, but interest in close sale businesses, you don't know unless you get an outside appraisal. Annual valuations provide shareholders with part of the data necessary to effectively plan their exits and, and their estates, uh, thereby enhancing their estate planning and exit planning. And uh, the process helps protect the wealth for heirs through gifting. There's increased, uh, increased accountability and performance. Shareholders see value that is being created or destroyed by firm management. Annual valuations provide more effective communication. It's a catalyst for open discussion on issues related to the strategic plan, to succession plan, financial objectives, return expectations, and so on. What else? The kind of, we mentioned the buy-sell agreement. The, the, the company that has multiple shareholders and an appraisal needed to establish value for buy-sell agreements to avoid com conflict and or funding shortfalls in the event of what you mentioned before, death, divorce, disability of a shareholder. Uh, ongoing valuations avoid or temper uh, disputes. One-time valuations or formulas are, are more open to criticisms of bias. Uh, annual valuation from a wealth planning point of view can establish the amount of life insurance needed for key shareholders. The value will dictate the correct level of uh, life insurance to maintain. Without this knowledge, uh, level of insurance could be significantly higher or lower than it needs to be. Annual valuations afford better access to credit by establishing a track record of, of value creation. And 
management's better prepared to sell or merge if the opportunity arises through a foundation for negotiation of favorable uh, deal terms. So uh, there are just a lot of benefits to uh, keeping on top of it. And I guess I'll say one final thing related to that is uh, ESOPs, having an ESOP requires an annual valuation. And as a result of that, the business owners are forced to do it. And I tend to find ESOP companies better managed as a result than other wholesale businesses. Yeah, I just want to, uh, we've talked about ESOPs a lot on the, on the podcast, and I, I, I would I think a lot of our, our listeners know what that is, but just in case they don't, an ESOP is a, a employee stock, stock ownership plan, and it's a, a, a an actual qualified retirement plan approved by the the by Department of Labor and ERISA, and uh, it's a great tool for a, a a privately held business to transfer and create value for the employees as well as for the business owner. So something to at least consider as part of the process of, of exit planning and, and, and a strategy for, for the owner. You know, I, I, I'm struck by your, your, your comments, Chris, and, and there are certainly fantastic advantages of being a, a, a privately held business and a, and a small business. It's, I've, been, I've owned my own business for the last uh, 35 years, and it just gives me great pleasure, and I'm able to provide a, a a lot of uh, I think wonderful service to my wonderful clients. So that's, it gives me a lot of a lot of pleasure. But I think there is a real difference between a a publicly held business and a privately held business. And I think it's really the case that that that, that the publicly held business has to do these things as far as have metrics that outsiders can assess on a um, on a regular basis, and and because of that, I think one could one could make the argument that there's that they're professionally managed, and and that publicly traded business is likely to have levels of management that that can leverage value, and that will will actually in many cases be less risky for the owners. Than a a privately held business that doesn't have things like appraisals, evaluation appraiser, and a board of directors and outside investors that are requiring the business to run like a like a real business. <laughs> and so I just think that that that's uh you, you're making a really interesting comment. Your comments were really very helpful. Do you have something to add? No, no, um, no. I think I think you're right. I mean, re- really, the public markets are very different from the private markets, and I, I guess the public company is looking to maximize earnings. The uh, private company is trying to minimize taxes, and so how you look at uh, private companies are are, are, are going to be quite different. And the capital markets are different. It's uh, there, there are big differences uh, between. Oh, the totally. Two and, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but I just think it's it's one of uh, professional management and focusing on goals and and the metrics that make a difference. That's that's what right. that's what I was trying to get at. So, Chris, we're 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 getting close to the end, and and this has been so interesting and helpful, and and I really think it would be great to have you come back, and we can get into a bit more detail on on shareholder agreements because I think that's a topic that uh, we can go on for forever on. And uh, so, thank you so much, and. And I think I'm hopeful that, yeah, thanks. And, and, and 
it's just been really helpful. I, I, how can um, any listeners reach out to you? What, what's the best way for them to, to do that? So our company website is valuationresearch.com. My email is cmellen, M-E-L-L-E-N. So it's C-M-E-L-L-E-N at valuationresearch.com on LinkedIn. But if somebody sent an invite on LinkedIn, you have to identify that you listen to this podcast because I don't accept invites from random names, you know, just the random invite. And then my phone number is uh, 781-501-1382. It's 781-501-1382. That's great. Thanks so much for joining us, Chris. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Peter. Guys, this has been a fantastic podcast. Uh, just so much information to digest. I, I hope that people are calling in or getting onto the website and checking you guys out and uh, asking those questions that need to be asked. Every business owner needs to be thinking about this, uh, especially during this time. So again, Peter, thank you so much for bringing them on. Oh, thank you, Garrick. You bet. And of course, Take the last care. thank you always goes to you, the listening audience. Thank you for listening and tuning in to the Wealth is in the Details podcast with Peter Raskin. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Peter comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Raskin Planning Group, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Wealth is in the Details podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Peter Raskin is a registered representative of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Securities offered through Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation, a broker, dealer, member SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Sagemark Consulting, a division of Lincoln Financial Advisors, a registered investment advisor. Insurance offered through Lincoln Affiliates and other fine companies. Raskin Planning Group is not an affiliate of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation and its representatives do not provide legal or tax advice. You may want to consult a legal or tax advisor regarding any legal or tax information as it relates to your personal circumstances.